Well, last week we looked at the the Beatitudes in the Psalms, 25 of them. We talked about how to have a, a blessed new year. We said that the term being blessed, or when you find the phrase in the Bible, blessed are the, the meek, it's a, it's a declaration of, uh, that, that God makes about a person, about a condition that a person is, is in. And it was tied to, uh, to prior to the fall. And while we can't undo the fall here in this earth, in this life, that's what Christ is doing. He's undoing the fall in you as far as salvation is concerned. One day he will undo the fall. You want to use that term in, uh, with the earth because he's going to create a new heavens and, and a new earth. But while we're here, while we're waiting on that new heaven and, and new earth, we, we, can be, we can be blessed. We, we can have the favor of, of God and, and we, can, we can be part of the recreation, if you will. And so there were 25 of them that we, that we looked at and and it allows for, for a new start, and, and God clearly is a God of, of new beginnings, and that's a hope-filled fact. I mean, it really is a hope-filled fact, and you've got to keep this in, in your mind. Whatever you felt at last year, yet you have a chance to do right this year. I mean, you can say that as far as the day is concerned. Whatever you failed at yesterday, you have the chance today to do, to do right, because you're breathing, and, and God gives you gives you that, that promise and that opportunity. Whatever, whatever sin overtook you or overtook me last year, that can be overcome this year. Whatever spiritual goal you left unaccomplished last year, this can be the year that, that you fulfill it. And we serve a gracious God that, that, offers, that offers hope. I mean, hope is, is the central theme of the Bible. It's the, it's the central theme of the, God, of the gospel. We were hopeless, and now we are hope-filled because of the blessed hope, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're even looking for the hope that is to come whenever Christ returns. And is a, we have a past, and, and yet we also have a, a future. I really think the Apostle Paul gives a gives good insight in how we're to think about that in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It's not our text this morning, but I'm going to read it to you. You know it. Paul says, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect or complete, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's talking about his life before, all that he was as a, you know, as a, as a good Jew, as a Pharisee, and, and clearly all the sin that was, that was part of that, and and now he's, he's on a new path, and he's, he's reaching toward this, this, this prize, and that prize is the upward call of God, that we're going to be, we're going to be brought out of this world, and, and we're able to do that because God has called us faith in Christ. And he says that we haven't arrived yet. Has anybody in here arrived yet? No, you haven't arrived yet. I can answer that question for you. <laughs> but you do have the promise that you will arrive, and that blessed hope, you have the promise that while you haven't arrived yet, you know the little T-shirt or the little posters you get, the little girl 
that says, you know, uh, God isn't finished with me yet. You know, we think that's cute, and it, but there's truth to that. God isn't finished with us yet, but He's promised to never leave us alone. He's promised to complete the good work that, that He began. Paul says in those verses in Philippians that we're on, a, well, on that journey, we press on. We, we forget what lies behind and reach for what lies ahead, and God is encouraging us along the way. Did, did you hear the order that Paul gives? You turn loose of whatever is behind you. Our lives, our sins, our hopes, our dreams. And we reach forward to what lies ahead. Heaven and Christ and, and the rewards of, of, of a faithful life and, and the resurrection. And, and if you haven't let go of what is behind, you can't move forward. Whether that is, whatever that is. Anything you're living for, your sin, the thousand failures, the things that bind you. But once you turn loose of those things, once you forsake your life, so that you can have the life of Christ, once you turn loose of those things, the next, the next step is, is to press forward. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an active goal, active task. You don't just press forward one day and now you're on autopilot the rest of your Christian life, right? You're pressing toward the goal every moment of every day. And, and, and no, matter, no matter how hard I try... Um, my, my grip loosens. You remember me telling you the, uh, whenever I was really struggling in my early uh, days of Christianity with, with performance. You know, I thought God was really pleased with me how, based upon how hard I tried. And um, I had the, the pastor that, that discipled me. He asked, told me, hold out your hand and, and, and make a fist and grip it as hard as you possibly can. So I did. He said, as hard as you can? Yes, as hard as I can. He said, okay, hold it. And we waited. Keep holding it. Keep holding it. Keep holding it. And then I just felt, you know, of course, you know, I'm young. I'm 24, 25. I'm tough. I can hold it really. But after a while, you know, I could just, I could just feel my grip loosening. No matter how hard I, 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 every amount of effort in my, in my body, my will, my mind, it just, my muscles tired after a while. You know, and then you're, you know, you're kind of like this. But he said it's the same way in the Christian, Christian life. You remember that. No matter how hard you, you grip, there, you're, you're not strong enough to hold on forever. Your grip will loosen. And there's ebbs and froze. And so as I'm pressing on toward the high calling as you are, you know, it's not just I'm going to lay back and let God, you know. Of course, I know it's the grace of God, but I'm not just going to be by osmosis. It's going to take place. I'm pressing. I'm striving. I'm, I'm, I'm building upon the foundation of grace with this great labor. But no matter how hard I labor, my grip is, is, is too, too loose. And so the Bible gives us that great hope that we are in God's great grip of grace. And while I might, you know, just be holding on to his, to his great finger, that finger is attached to his great hand that has hold of, uh, of me. I turn loose of what is behind and I, and I, I press forward and, 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 and one of the things that really helps me besides the hope that there's new starts and new beginnings and, and that God understands my frame is, is an opportunity to do some evaluation. 
to do some evaluation. If you, if you don't take the opportunity, whether it's a new year or a new beginning, to, to turn loose of whatever baggage that you had in the past and all of your failures, then, then you're never going to move forward. And, and if you also, after you do that, after you, you put them under the blood, however you want to say it, if you don't sit down and do some evaluation, then all you're going to do is repeat the same failures next year that, that you, you, you did the, the previous year. So it is, a, it is a letting it go unto the Lord. It's confessing. It's, it's, it's also repenting. And repenting involves changing your mind. It involves evaluating. It involves then trying to set patterns to, to move forward. And, and we're going to get some help from the, from the Apostle John this morning as, as he may help us take our spiritual temperature, if you will. And in the process, you will find assurance in your security that's in Christ, that great grip of grace that God has, or you will find that you may need Christ. And in that process, the Lord would say, turn loose of what is behind and lay hold of what Christ has already done for you. So open your Bibles to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. Now, everyone knows knows John. It's no mistake in the book of Acts, whenever, whenever uh, the Holy Spirit is laying out the Bible, laying out, the, uh, uh, guiding and directing Luke as he, as he writes the book of Acts and shows us how the church is being formed, that, that, that you have Peter and John are the, the two primary um, characters in the first part, and the Apostle Paul is the primary character in the the second half of the book of Acts. And when you put Peter, John, and Paul together, you have the writers of the majority of the New Testament. Everyone knows John, the Gospel of of John, different from the other three Gospels. Uh, John the Revelator, the one that that penned for us what he saw that that would be. And, And as a reader, you have to love John. You love John because he tells you very clearly why he is writing his letters. I mean, even when you read Revelation, which we're going we're gonna to start in a, in a series on that, Lord willing, next Sunday night. And you, you read Revelation, I don't read Revelation, you know, because it's got all these, you know, this wormwood and stars. What does all that mean? Okay, you may get lost in the symbolism, but you can't get lost in why John wrote Revelation clearly tells you, I, I'm writing down what is, and I'm writing down what, what will be. I mean, he tells you very clearly what he's writing. In the Gospel of John, John tells us very clearly why he wrote the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says he wrote his Gospel to bring unbelievers to faith in Christ. Listen to John 20, 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So I wrote it. We're in 1 John. Does John do the same thing in 1 John? Well, yes, he does. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Listen to 1 John 5, 12 through 13. Or you can look there if, if you're there. We're going to start in the first chapter, but here is his theme verse. Here is why he wrote the letter. He says he writes it to secure a solid footing for believers. 1 John 5, 12-13. He who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written, now catch this, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, you may have assurance that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the, of the Son of God. He's written, he wrote the Gospel of John to unbelievers so that they believe, believe, may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And he writes First John to believers so that we might have a strong assurance in salvation. that God has granted us knowing that we're on solid ground. Knowing that we're on that solid ground, that we're in that grip of grace, then, then, you, can, then you can walk forward. There were some apostates in, in the, in the, amongst the believers that, that John was writing to, and people were getting shaky about what they were teaching and what they were doing. So he writes to, to give them a glimpse of what true Christianity looks like. Gives us an opportunity to do some to do some evaluation. Have you gotten lost somewhere in the process? Your Christianity has become more about church attendance or doing rather than, rather than being? Listen to John this morning because he's going to bring us back to the essence of Christianity. He's going to bring us back to the essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And once he sets that trajectory for us, then we can evaluate and see where we've gotten off track pick up and begin to walk in that direction in the hope that God gives us in, in the new year. You might say it this way. It's written so we can forget what is behind and so that we can reach forward toward the, the high calling that is in Christ Jesus because Christ has paid for our sin and He's given us new life. So He gives us seven categories in this entire epistle, the contents of the epistle, there's seven categories that we can use to evaluate ourselves. I didn't think it was wise to try to take on ten points again in one sermon. So I reduced it to seven. But those of you who rejoice that in the new year, I actually quit early, that will be my goal again today. So you can be happy with my New Year's resolution, all right? And I'm picking on some of you who told me that you were happy that I quit early last time. Now, this, this uh, 1 John is not intended to cause you to doubt your salvation as you listen to this. The purpose that John wrote was so you who believe may have assurance that you may know. But as you do some evaluation, it, it, it requires that... that that God takes His Word and he, and he digs around in the junk drawer. Do you have a drawer in your house where you hide stuff and put stuff so your kids can't get papers or other wares? Maybe it's your sock drawer. Maybe it's some other drawer. I don't know. Well, God will have to take His Word and dig around in that drawer that, 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 that you hide stuff in so you can do some evaluation. All right? But the purpose is that you might have assurance. So there's seven assurance-granting categories that test our spiritual temperature. There's seven assurance-granting categories that check or test our spiritual temperature. And the first one is genuine fellowship with, with God. 
The first assurance granting category that, that checks our spiritual temperature is, is, is the, the test of genuine fellowship with God. Look, if you would, at, at John 1, 1 here. Now, watch how he connects this to the gospel of John. That which was from the beginning. You remember when we were talking about the, the incarnation and how John starts with, with creation? He does the same thing here. That which was from the beginning. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was, was manifested. It, it came. It, it broke forth into creation on the earth. And we've seen it. And we bear witness I mean, we've examined what, what has come, the one who has come, that is Christ, and we're bearing witness of who He is, and, and part of that witness, we're declaring to you that eternal life was with the Father, and it was manifested to us, it was revealed to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, and here's your fellowship term, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John starts here with fellowship with, with God. He echoes back to creation, just like he does in the Gospel. And he declares Christ to us so that we might have fellowship with Him. He's saying, I have fellowship with God because I have fellowship with God in Christ, and I'm declaring Christ to you so that you may also have fellowship with, with me, and, and our fellowship is with, is with God. And fellowship with God is only possible through, through Jesus Christ. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't think that because God is your creator, don't think because of the common grace that befalls you on a daily basis, don't think because you get well whenever you're sick or because you enjoy the sunshine or the good gifts of life that that means that you have fellowship with God. That's just God being God because He's good and because He's, he's God. He says the only way that you have fellowship with God is is through the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not just the coming of Christ, but what Christ accomplished. He came for a purpose, right? The Father gave the Son so that the Son might be the Savior. So it's the work of Christ. And fellowship with God is only possible through, through Christ. And, and he connects fellowship with disciples, with the disciples, to, to fellowship with, with God. And, and, and he connects fellowship with joy. Look at verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So he connects fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God is connected with fellowship with one another, the disciples, and joy is what is produced through that. Now, fellowship that John is talking about here is not like social. Now, we joke all the time, we Baptists like to fellowship, and we typically like to fellowship around food. That's not primarily the fellowship that John's talking about here. It's not social. It's, it's participation. That you might have, you might participate with us, and our participation is, is with God. We, it's, it's, it's not like going to, to a church social and fellowshipping. It's like being a partaker or a partner with John of the eternal life, granted only in Jesus. And so we have 
We have that with the Father. I mean, one of the ways that I remember fellowship, I remember it by the idea, I've shared it with you before, is the word fellows shipping. So, so I'm on the same boat carrying the same cargo and I'm, and I'm working on that boat or I'm on that boat and I'm in harmony with the captain, the captain, fellows shipping. I'm together. We have the same cargo. We're participating in the same things. We're partners. And, and in this case, we, we participate in, in eternal life. We, we receive it. And every time I think of that, I think of, of uh, Tracy will remember this, of, of singing the old ship of Zion at, at Red House. Any of you older folks know the tune, the old ship of Zion? Do you remember that? I was standing on the banks of the river looking out over life's troubled sea when I saw that old ship that was sailing. Is that the old ship of Zion I see? The song goes on says, Its hull was bent and battered from the storms of life I could see. Waves were rough, but that old ship was sailing. Is that the old ship of Zion I see? And I can remember... Joe Hutchinson singing this next verse at the top of his lungs. At the stern of the ship was the captain. I could hear as he called out my name. Get on board. It's the old ship of Zion. It may never pass this way again. As I step on board, I'll be leaving all of the troubles and trials behind. I'll be safe with Jesus the captain. Sailing out on the old ship of, of Zion. You bring all this together. You, you, you can't forget what is behind and you can't move forward unless you get on board that ship. And that ship has a captain and that captain of your salvation is, is Jesus Christ. You must be a partaker, like John, of, of eternal life. Not a moral code. Not a way to live but eternal life. That's foundational. Do you possess eternal life? Do you have spiritual life with, within you? Do you? Are you a partaker? Or do you fellowship with, with, with John, with the writer here, and, and also with, with Christ? Have you ever experienced communion with, with Christ and, and, and God? Um, if you do, You've experienced the fellowship and joy that's intermingled with that. I think that's one of the things that you, you find evidence is their joy that's there. The, the fear of judgment, of knowing, the, the, the fact that you, you want to avoid God is replaced with joy in God because now you know you're right with, with, with Him. And that's an evidence of that fellowship. Let me give you the second one. Sensitivity to, to sin. Look at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. He, he says light and darkness do not coexist. And then he goes into some of these conditional phrases. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from, from all sin. He says part of the evaluation and, and part of what will grant you assurance. John says that, that, that those who have true fellowship with God 
live their lives in the light and they don't walk in darkness. And he gives three claims here, three false claims that people make. Verse 6, they falsely claim to be Christians. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we live our lives in, in, in the dark, we lie and don't practice the truth. Second false claim is that we claim to have no sin. People claim to have no sin in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is, is not in us. And verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 10, the third false claim, even more some claim to never have sinned. We say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. A person who has genuine fellowship with God doesn't do that. They're sensitive toward, toward sin. So here's your evaluation and here's your assurance. Do you, are you sensitive toward sin? Is there a sensitivity toward sin in your life? Do you acknowledge it or do you stonewall against it? Do you even know that it's there? Whenever you do it, do you realize it? Now, it's obviously possible to have a hyper-conscience as a pastor, I get the opportunity to bring the Word of God to bear, to counsel people that have hyper-consciences. They're worried about uh, whether God is pleased with them wearing black socks or blue socks, or, or doing this or doing that. It's, it's a hyper-conscience. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is, is what God has declared as morally right and ethically wrong. That which he has declared is sin. Are you sensitive to that? Is there, is there something in you? Is, there, is your conscience trained toward, toward that level? To confess means to say the same thing about your sin as God does. And that's why he gives these three false claims. They're not saying the same thing that God does about, about what a Christian is. They're not saying the same thing that God does about sin, their sin, their individual sin, and they're not saying the same thing that God says about their condition, that, they are, that they're depraved and that they're, they're lost and without hope in, in Christ. Um, verse 9, the verse that we all memorize, that we love, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful verse. Isn't that a beautiful verse? How many times have I quoted that verse to God and reminded myself, Lord, you promised, you promised that you would be faithful. Lord, while I hate the fact that I'm coming to you, confessing, saying the same thing about my sin that you said, in some cases the same thing I knew about my sin before I ever came, you promised that you would be faithful because of Christ. And as believers, we're confessing people. Do you find sensitivity to your sin and do you find confession of your sin? And I don't mean confession you go to the, you know, to the little guy in the, you know, in the broom closet and talk through the McDonald's, you know, uh, drive-through box. I'm not talking about that kind of confession. I'm talking about going to God and admitting or I mean, do you find that part of your life, part of your Christian life is 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 confessing that you're acknowledging to God that that darkness is dark and, and, and light is light, and, and when you're in one and when you're not in the other, do, do, you, do you find there's an honesty about your sin to God and to, to others? Um, comes from, from knowing God, knowing who the Lord is. 
Is there a need to forget? Is there a need to forget something in 2014? And you've got to be honest with God about it. Take some inventory. How sensitive are you? If you're not sensitive to sin anymore, why? Why? Is it really sin? Maybe you've grown up in the Lord. Maybe your conscience has matured, and that's a good thing. Maybe you've allowed the world to, to steal some of, the, some of the, the, the cutting edge of the Word of God off of, off of your life. Um, let me give you the, the third one. It's an honesty about sin, a sensitivity to sin. There's also a desire to obey God. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. I mean, Paul, uh, John just walks through these in the Word. Chapter 2. Calls us little children. What a beautiful title. These things I write to you that, that you may not sin. Okay, there's an honesty about your sin. But just because there's a confession and forgiveness that comes from God doesn't mean that we just, we just, we just want to sin. Anybody that would claim to be a Christian hates sin, doesn't want to do it, is honest about it. As the, the old preacher said, there's a difference between slipping in a mud puddle and jumping in one, right? You may slip in a mud puddle. And sometimes we're stupid little children, even in our Sunday best, and we go and we jump right in the middle of a mud puddle and get... But, but if, if, if the pattern of your life is wallowing in the mud, then you've got an issue. You're not a carnal Christian. You're probably not a believer. So here he says, verse 3, By this we know Him. We have an advocate with the Father. He's our propitiation in verse 2. A little children, I'm happy that you sin not, but if you do sin, your security is in Christ. It's not in your not sinning. But then he turns us right back to the topic in verse 3. Now, we know that we know him, that, that we truly have an advocate in Christ if we keep his, his commandments. You want to know whether you're a true Christian, ask yourself whether you obey the commands of Scripture. Well, ask yourself whether you prayed a prayer in Sunday school whenever you were seven years old. Ask yourself, do you have fellowship with God? Do you have a sensitivity towards sin? And do you have a desire to obey God in your life right now? Someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I'm, I don't have assurance. I don't know whether, whether I'm saved. I don't care whether they've, whether, they've never, whether they've never professed to come to Christ or whether they, they, they have professed to come to Christ in the past. I take them to the same place. I take them, how are you living right now? Where are you at right now with God? Don't worry about what has happened in the past. Where are you at right now? And then, and then you need to come to the same place, which is the cross, whatever you, whatever you, you find. That's what John's doing with believers. He's taking believers to these same places that I'm taking you this morning. If you want to check your spiritual temperature, you ask yourself, how easily do I obey God's Word? I'm telling you. I mean, I, I preach this, I hear these words coming from my mouth, I read this, and God is digging around in my sock drawer right now. I mean, He does. It, it, and he, and he's, he's lovingly doing that. How easy is it for me to, to obey God's Word? Do I have to be like the mule or the horse where God puts a bit or a bridle in my mouth to get me to obey? Oh, he's gracious. He'll do that because I'm His. Or is it freely received? 
Am I pursuing that? Or does something have to come in my life to point me in that direction? Sadly, many times, something has to come in my life to point me to that direction. Many things had to come in my life in 2014 to, to get me to go in the right, which was a good way. And I would say, no doubt with you, that in 2015, I want, I want less of those. I want less bit and bridle by God's grace, and I want more free obedience and desire to keep His commandments. He says, if you, you know Him, you'll keep His commandments. He who says, I know him, in verse 4, and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is is not in him. You desire to obey? Oh, yeah, I desire to. I want to do what God wants me to do. Do you obey? Because desire and doing goes together. You remember Philippians 2, 12 and 13? Work out your salvation. Live out your salvation in fear and, and trembling. Why? Why can you do that? Why can God give you that command? Because it's God who is at work in you, both to give you the desire and the ability to do of His good pleasure. So God is implanting the desire in you, and He's giving you the ability. But that ability is not just to want, that ability is to do of His good pleasure. And so that's the working out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's how Jesus describes a true disciple in the Great Commission. You observe all things. Jonathan Edwards said this, as the principal evidence of life is motion, the principal evidence that you're alive is motion, that you're moving. Is, is that body moving down there? Yeah, it's moving. Well, it must be alive. It's not a perfect, anal- or a perfect test, but he says as the principal evidence of life is motion, so the principal evidence of saving grace is holy practice. Holy practice doesn't save you, but the principal evidence of saving grace is holy practice. We're doing what God commands us to do. Let me give you number four. There's an opposition to the world. Look at verse 15. We've preached these verses before, so I don't have to go too deep in exposition. But here's the passage that He goes on to say in verse 15, chapter 2, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he gives the world system. The world, the term the cosmos, it speaks of an arranged system. You look around, you watch TV, you listen to the message that's there. Do you see a system? Well, there's a system, isn't there? And, And human beings aren't smart enough. To, to, to put that system together, hold it together, make it consistent across every nation and globe. And it's a, it's a system of thinking. It has its own loves, own thoughts, its own master. It's materialistic, it's immoral, it's rebellious, it's self-oriented, it loves pleasure. And when you become a Christian, you come out of that. You come out of that, that world. You are translated from the kingdom of darkness. Where? into the kingdom of His dear Son. You're no longer of your father the devil. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your Savior, but He's also your Lord. And now the world, the things of the world, your eyes are opened to God and to the world. And and so those things repel you. 
Your love is not there. Yeah, very true. Sometimes you may be lured into worldly things, but it's not what you love. It's what you begin to hate. And the more you love God, the more you hate the world. And the opposite is true. Those who love the world hate Christ. Isn't that what John says in his gospel? They don't come to the light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to be exposed. And that's the way Paul felt when he fell into sin in Romans 15. Uh, 7.15, it's frustrating to him. It's not what he loved. You reject the world, false religions, human ideologies, godless living, vain pursuits. Do you love God? Do you love His truth? Do you love His kingdom? Do you love what He stands for? Then have assurance. Let me give you number five. It's a decreasing pattern of sin in your life. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Wow, that's a strong statement. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor know Him. Now, we've talked about this before. This is not talking about sin, period. It's a pattern of sin. So how do you apply that? Do you, as you evaluate your life, as you evaluate your walk, do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? You've heard everyone has fruit. You know, if, if you're born of God, there'll be fruit in your life. Some of you, it's beautiful clusters of grapes. We can see the fruit. And we say, I want to live like that. I want that fruit in my life. Some of you, it might be an itty-bitty grape. One little itty-bitty grape. And we have to look. Some of you, that grape might be in the shriveled up raisin. That fruit has already, right? But there's something there. <laughs> Praise God, there's something there. Is there a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? You may not have every area of your life in order. You may even have a besetting sin that you fight against. But as a believer, can you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? You stand back, and as you look at your life, you'll see growth. You ever been around a believer and you and you were very close to them and you were you were in their world, you were living with them, you may attend a church with them, whatever it is, and, and and you separate from them. You move away, whatever. And you don't see them for a period of two or three or four or five years or ten years or whatever it is. And you go back after a period of time and you begin to talk to them and it it, it, it just hits you right in the face. They're exactly the same. They haven't changed one iota. They haven't grown in Christ in any way. Now, how can you even sense that or tell that? Before, they seemed like your, you know, your, your bosom friend. There, you, you had fellowship with together. Well, you can tell it because you have grown. And because you have matured in Christ, you can see the immaturity in them. Don't be like that. Move on to maturity, Hebrews would say. Part of that maturing is a decreasing pattern of, of sin in your life. Unbroken patterns of sin, no overcoming of sin, is a characteristic of the unregenerate. No matter what a person claims about being a Christian, if they continue in sin, it's only a claim and not a reality. Yes, you will battle the unredeemed flesh. But the more you pursue Christ, the less you'll sin. You see victory in your life? Oh, just a little bit of victory, Pastor. Uh, I see a little bit of victory in my life. I want more victory over sin in my life next year. Let me give you number six. 
It's a love for other believers. There's a love for other believers. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. He moves right out of sin with the children of God to the love that we have for one another. Look at verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he, is he of God, who does not love his brother. The practice of righteousness coupled with love. Oh, we are orthodox. We are independent Baptist, capital I. We are fundamental. We are whatever. But are we loving? Because God puts those two things together and says the evidence of salvation is not only your orthodoxy and your practice of righteousness, but your love. How you love. The oil that, makes, that causes the commandments of God to, 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 to turn in my life and allows me to keep the commands along with others. The oil that allows that to work is, is love. And love for other believers comes from the common fellowship that we have with God. And then he ties us back to, to the, the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who attend church. Remember? I don't know what number that was last week. Do you love the brethren? Doesn't mean we won't have arguments. Doesn't mean that you have to like my tie or my illustrations or even my sermons. Doesn't mean that we won't get on each other's nerves. Doesn't mean any of those things. Think of the New Testament. It's written to Christians that are fussing and fighting. But in the end, we love one another. There's a commitment to one another. Do you love the brethren? One of the evidences is that do you want to be around them? What if I told my wife, or what if you told your husband, I love you, but you have, but I don't want to live in the same house with you, I don't want to sleep in the same bed with you, I don't want to talk to you on the phone, I don't want to email you, I don't want to text you. As a matter of fact, I, I love you, but I don't want to do any of those things. Would you believe them? Of course you would. You said there'd be an issue there, there's something wrong. You can't say you love the brethren and not want to gather with them. You can't say you love the brethren and not want to be together, spend time together, and fellowship together. Now, now, now go, that a, go a step further. Would you rather be with people of the world? Would you rather be with unbelievers? Would you rather be with immoral people? Would you rather be with people that, that, that don't think like God and speak the things of God? Or would you rather be with believers? Now, that's the true digging around in the sock drawer that he gives here. Do you have a love for them that draws you into their presence? Does your love cover the multitude of sins that will be there between you? Let me give you the last one. There's discernment between spiritual truth and error. John 4, verses 1 through 3. John 4, 1. Beloved, 1 John 4. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many, many false teachers, false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is the Christ does not confess God. One of the tests of assurance 
is discernment between spiritual truth and, and error. It baffles my mind whenever I hear Christians affirming Mormons as believers. It does. It baffles my mind when I hear people call Glenn Beck a Christian. Glenn Beck's not any more a Christian than a man in the moon is a Mormon because Mormons don't believe that Jesus was even, was even God, was even His Son. Don't believe in the work of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that you're not nice to them, that you don't live with them, that you, you may not have to work with them, but, but discernment between spiritual truth and error is an evidence. And, and here, a believer can, can understand the Word and know truth. And from the moment of salvation, there's one thing that you're clear about, and that's who Jesus is. You may not know all the other things, but you know who Jesus is because Jesus is your Savior. And what Jesus accomplished, His work, is, is where you put your trust in. It's not just that, that you believe in Jesus. You believe in who Jesus is and what Jesus did and, and what He accomplished on the cross. That's, that's your hope. It's, it's the implications of the gospel that He died for you, that He rose for you, that your hope is in Him. And it's the Holy Spirit that's made that clear. This test is... It's not moral or experiential, it's doctrinal. True believers know truth from, from error. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Seven evaluations that's there. Just like last week, you have to take those home, probably, and do some evaluation and dig a little bit further, pray over them, allow God to evaluate. go back and read First John and read those verses that are there. But no doubt, the Lord's put His finger on some. Maybe one, maybe two in your life today. And right now is your opportunity to respond to that. So I want you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. Respond to the Lord. And, and while people are doing that, I'm going to invite Woody to come and just stand up here, the rest of us. Let's pray. Do you desire to find these things in your lives? In your life? Maybe there's more desire than doing. Tell that to the Lord. Confess it to Him. And then... Take these things this week. Look at them individually and then pray over each one. You say, I don't even know if God will hear me. Well, Don't base whether God will answer your prayer based upon you. Base it upon God. He promises to hear. So pray and see what the Lord does in your life. Is there something you need to forsake? Then, then tell the Lord you have a desire to do that and begin to walk in that direction. Find somebody else to, to help you. Do you listen to this message this morning and you find none of those things in your life? Then I'll listen. There's life in the, in the Son. And God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Turn to Christ. Put your trust in Him. Father, we, we just love You and praise You. We thank You for Your grace. Thank You that You give such a clear word to us. We pray that You would be glorified. Lord,
do this evaluation and do the work that comes from the evaluation. Give us forsaking of what is behind and help us to strive again for the future that is before us this year and years beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.